291.5. It's not quite episode 292 of The Sleeper in the Bus, but it's close. It's an impromptu episode to discuss the David Price signing. And I'm Paul Spohr, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, how's it going, man? I'm freezing. Hey, me too. We have that in common. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's awful. I hate the cold weather. Everyone knows that. I won't, I won't belabor that point. But it is our normal Tuesday. I mean, we're not doing our normal episode like we would in season, you know, go an hour or whatever. But uh, I just want to jump on. I figure with all the, the David Price uh, signing and, and kind of all the reaction to it, why don't we get some thoughts down on audio for the people so they don't have to try to sift through the millions of tweets that are going? Obviously, you're going to write about it. We'll direct them toward that uh, when it's up as well. But let's just start right out of the gate. Uh, David Price, seven years, $217 million, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. We're hearing reports that the St. Louis Cardinals finished second. That, that report's coming out from Bob Nightingale. And Nightingale's latest tweet suggests that it was in at least – $30 million difference for the Cardinals, uh, between the Cardinals and Red Sox offers that Price passed up. So whatever happened there in the 11th hour, because it seemed like, at least for Price and his people, they thought they were going to St. Louis. Boston came in, Dave Dabrowski up the ante. Maybe he thought he had that Mike Illich money still. He has to realize that's no longer his owner. Um, and and they, jumped, they jumped the offer, and all of a sudden they're the ones with him. So what did you think when you first saw David Price to Boston? You know, if it's $30 million, uh, you know, I think of two things. One thing is they probably just added that seventh year. A year, you know? yeah. Yeah, not a lot of people that want to spend seven years on, on a on a player, uh, on a pitcher in particular. And then the second part is, well, you know, if Boston is colder and uh, he doesn't get to hit and, you know, is a worse park and maybe his numbers at the end of his career suffer a little bit, he can – you know, stay warm and feel all fuzzy inside by, you know, lighting a million dollars on fire. I was going to say, he could just burn the money. Even <laughs> if he doesn't have a proper fireplace or anything like that, just stack up some of the money and uh, and burn it. No, that's, no, that's no problem at all. It's funny that you mentioned staying warmer. First off, we at the outset talked about how cold we are. I think I've mentioned this anecdote on the podcast, but I'm not sure. My girlfriend's only knowledge of David Price is in two games, one was like basically a snow game. It was sleeting in Detroit, and the Yankees clobbered him. He was wearing no sleeves. His hands were red. He was clearly frozen. And then another game, it was raining, and him wearing no sleeves, and it looked like he's cold. And she just doesn't believe that David Price can handle the cold. That's her only knowledge of David Price as a pitcher. So when I told her that he was going to Boston, first thing she said, no way he can handle that cold. So I, yeah. I remember those. I remember those games because one of those games, his velocity was down. Yes, he got and every, everyone thought. Yeah, everyone thought he was he was injured, and people were just like, "Dude, it's hard to pitch in that weather." No, it was I the weather. I think it's hard for most people, and I, I it's something to think about: is that he's going to be in in colder weather? The nice. You know, side the other side of that is a cold weather also suppresses offense. So, you know, he's going to have some help. Uh, the hitters are also, you know, not liking the way the bat feels in their in their hands, especially when they get it in the other hands. You know, so, um, you know, I, I think there's it's a little bit of give and take. And I don't think that necessarily I mean, he's had to pitch in Boston plenty of times. He's had to pitch in cold. It's just that we have these big memories of these two games so of course of course they stand uh, out 
but you make a great point about the offense specifically. It is, it's a disaster to be in cold weather, whether you're hitting or pitching. Um, we'll get to how this shapes the market in, in a few, but I want to talk to you about something that's really kind of standing out. Kind of the, the order du jour with these big contracts these days is an opt-out clause that allows uh, – well, it's usually been pitchers. I don't know if they're – maybe Stanton has one too, so it's just across uh, hitter or pitcher. But they have the opt-out after you know three, four years into the deal that they can go either try to re-up with the same team for more money or, or, or just get back on – out into the market. That's why Zach Granke's in the market right now That as part of that opt-out. Obviously, we know CeCe's with the Yankees. They went ahead and re-signed him. Probably shouldn't have done that now that we're looking at it. But um, I've always been on the, the side that says these are so player-friendly, 100%. I don't. I never was really seeing it any other way. There's been a lot of talk about it that there is a scenario where it is team-friendly. It's not the most likely scenario. It's not overwhelmingly team-friendly, but it's not 100% only going to benefit the player. You, you, I've seen you um, in on this talk with Sky Kaufman as well. Can you outline the, the scenario, as scant as it might be, where a team, uh, an opt-out would actually benefit a team? Yeah, you know, first of all, I think that it's a little bit hard to uh, believe this, but I, I think that this could represent a value. I mean, he's he's projected to be a five over five win pitcher next year, and if you just age that out normally, um, you could expect a two hundred forty million dollar contract. Wow. So, you know, there's about twenty five million dollars missing there, and it's it's easy to sort of point to that and say, well, there there's the value of the opt out um, the opt out clause. So they're actually you know getting money off of the contract in order to give him that sort of a quid pro quo. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's the benefit there is to the team is that they're paying less uh, up front. Now, I think once you get past that, then it's more downside for the team because there's obviously, um, it, it's not binary. And that's what I'm going to write about a little bit tomorrow is that there are, there's a range of outcomes and um, depending on how the, how he fits on those range of outcomes, um, the contract is the opt out is worse or better. Sure. But um, you know, to to the to the, to us and to, to people watching, it'll be kind of binary. Either he'll be uh, really great, and the market will keep up, and uh, he'll opt out after three years, and they'll just have spent you know three year just a, a three year deal at, at 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 value for the for good years of a, of a pitcher, and not have you know, and then have to jump in the market and you know go up against everybody else. Um, so there's that. And then the, the other side would be that he's hurt or doesn't pitch as well, sure. and um, opts into it and is you know becomes kind of an albatross. So and, and uh, that's the part of the risk that you take, though. Like you, you kind of know that going in. I don't feel like the opt out you know, changes that too much. Cause otherwise you probably just would have had a seven year deal as is at least with yeah, the opt out or six year deal without the opt out. Right. Yeah. There's a small chance. And again, what it would be is if he dominates like he's supposed to uh, as an ACE for the next three, I think it's three years that he can opt out afterwards. Um, then he's going to be 33. And so even if he's been pitching great, maybe the Red Sox don't necessarily want ages 37 through 36. So, you can even just say, you know, he is pitching great. He's going to be, quote unquote, worth the money that he gets because of what he's done. But maybe you're just not interested in a mid-30s pitcher. That's the scenario. It's it's not 
again, overwhelmingly likely or anything like that uh, necessarily. But I do think there is a small piece where these opt outs, the team might actually say, you know what, we got the three years. That's all you you're really hoping for three to four years of greatness in these deals. I don't think any team is ever putting these contracts in saying, you know what, we better get seven of his premium years or we got screwed. And <laughs> for some reason, Twitter always reacts to these like, well, how's the end of that contract going to go? I mean, Badly. at some point, <laughs> you got to realize that it's the cost of doing business and you have to stop saying that. You just exactly. sound so stupid when you just – the first thing you do is, well, how are the two, last two years of that deal going to go? Probably poorly. Probably poorly. <laughs> Probably. That's just part of it though. You, you got to pay for those. When money won't be buying the same things then exactly. you know, and, and contracts will look crazier even. And you know, uh, there's one thing that uh, that is interesting. If it's sort of semantics, but it's not really. Uh, by putting the opt-out clause in there, you raise the likelihood that you get three great years from price. I see. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's yeah. it. Because yeah. it, motivated. Because obviously, no, no, no. But also, just the opposite is not true. Is not possible anymore, right? Yeah. Like you, you gave right. him the opt-out, so the pot. There is now the possibility you get three great years and he opts out. However, I think. That's like you're saying, kind of ideal for the team. It's like, oh yeah, sweet. We got like if you could get Bryce Harper right now, you might get him for like seventy five million dollars a year if you only had to pay for him for two years. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's the thing. They would love to have done a three year, you know, one hundred and ten million dollar deal, but players don't want to do that. They want the big years for a reason. And you remember what the proof of this is? What was that ridiculous ass deal that Andrew Jones got from the Dodgers? Oh God. Yes. It was like one for 30. Yep. And it sounded crazy where everyone was like, what? But it was because it was one year. One year deal. And it was like, here's the here's a chance that, you know, he'll finally lay off that, that slider on the outside corner. Like, it you know, or, or, you know, maybe the power's still here or, or the defense will tick up a little bit. I mean, there was there was enough sort of good that he did that there was a chance that it was there was a possibility that it would work out. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean – it's happened before and teams I think would pay more for fewer years. So I think in this case, they're happy if he, if he opts out and if he doesn't opt out, they hope it's not, uh, you know, the 10th percentile. Yeah. Price where he got. nightmare arm blows <laughs> yeah. up and he just eats your money for, for, you know, yeah. four or five years. Let's talk about that rotation now. So now you're looking at price as the headliner and then, uh, Buckholz, Porcello, Rodriguez, Eduardo Rodriguez, and Wade Miley. That's the five that roster resource has right now. I, I, I can agree with that right off the bat. Maybe Henry Owens wiggles his way in there over a Miley. Um, you know, I, I don't think he would do it over anybody else. Rodriguez showed some pretty great things last year. He had those four ugly starts, was definitely tipping pitches in at least one of them. I wouldn't be surprised if he was tipping pitches in all of them that he struggled. It was only four bad starts. The rest were excellent. If you break up Eduardo Rodriguez's season kind of like that, Porcello's getting paid. I don't think they're going to kick him out of the rotation unless he just totally flops. Buck Holtz, we'll see what happens with him. He could get moved. Now, I did see a tweet. I can't remember who it was uh, from, but that suggested that the Boston was going to go try and trade a pitcher now to recoup some of the prospects that they lost from the uh, Craig Kimbrell deal. Is price alone, has, has that put them in a position where they should feel like they can go trade pitching? I feel like that's crazy. I mean, I guess uh... – You've got uh, future Cy Young winner uh, Joe Kelly. <laughs> Joe Kelly. So, yeah. Uh, what do you? You got. You got a surplus. Um, no, I, you know, I think probably 
I doubt that they do. The, the thing is, though, they are a little bit deeper than just Joe Kelly because Henry Owens uh, did a decent job. I and then you've got Stephen Wright. Henry Owens did a decent job, you know, the lefty there. And then you've got Stephen Wright, uh, the knuckleballer, who is the kind of inning soaker. Um, if you just need the, the kind of, uh, oh, Eduardo has a, you know, a blister and, and can't and mixes, messes, misses the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a. So Owens uh, could get something back legitimate in, in your eyes. Well, no, I, what I, no, no, no. What I'm saying is that they do actually have depth above those guys because then there's Brian Johnson, too. So they're, they're pretty good. And Brandon Workman could be like a seventh starter type. So Okay, that's it, fine. I'm saying don't trade anybody, though. Keep this as is. No, I'm you saying do trade have. somebody, I think, because uh, those guys can fill like five through seven just as good as Joe Kelly. So if somebody wants to take a chance on Joe Kelly – Go for it. Let it, you know. Let them take a chance on Joe Kelly. What I'll, maybe Braves will trade you something um, useful? Uh, maybe not a great prospect, but you know, maybe the Braves will. They're kind of churning and burning guys. Maybe they see something in Joe Kelly, like they saw something in Shelby Miller. Maybe they'll churn and burn Joe Kelly. Now that or, point, I agree with. I I, I you know, agree, but I interpret like it to a to a to a uh, to a, uh, somebody that's uh, that wants to compete now. That's where you know, I think you can get more of a, a legitimate piece. And I'm not even a Buckholz fan. I think everyone knows that I'm not a Buckholz guy. Right. But I think you got to trade somebody like that as opposed to the depth guys that you're talking currently about. Currently hurt. So, weird. Uh, That's weird. It is a day. <laughs> so, of course, but Miley, Miley Porcello, I don't know if I'd trade those guys because, you know, as bad as some of their seasons looked last year, they're still – I think definitely in the running, at least, or close to average major league pitchers. Agreed. Uh, you know, some people will kind of scoff at that, but Rick has, you know, been at, you know, been there before, and and Wade is is decent. So I think shown some flashes. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of they're not the five, six, seven types that if they were your five, six, seven types, you'd trade them. But they're more like your three, four, five. So exactly. Um, you know, you're hoping Eduardo jumps into that too, uh, and then you're really three, four. Uh, five, six, seven. You have you have like eight guys who can do it. So if anybody wants anybody from below Miley uh, and not Eduardo, um, then um, then I, I'd listen to them. Okay, so. that's fine. Yeah, the reason I I was on the other side originally was the the tag that said to recoup the prospects they lost in Kimbrel. I guess I was. I don't think Dombrowski cares that much. About yeah, yeah. I was interpreting that as they want to go get, you know, somebody on the level of a Margot. And I'm like, well, then you're going to have to trade Rodriguez. And then what's the point of that? So, okay, we're we're on the same page then. Maybe they trade for a little bit more supplemental piece, not necessarily a high impact prospect, something else like that. Let's move on to the market at large now, because we've seen two big bullets go down uh, off or or two, two big names come off the board. Zimmerman to the Tigers. Price to the Red Sox. First off, AL uh, getting getting some talent there with Zimmerman coming over, and then Price sticking with them when it looked like a, a, at a point at least that he was going to go to the NL. What does this do to the rest of the market now? Obviously, Grinky is is far and away the best. Where do you think he goes now? Reports suggest it's down to the Dodgers and Giants. Well, I just really hope it's the, the Giants, so I get to talk to him all the time. So that would be awesome. I don't. I don't know. I know that the uh, Giants uh, let Aoki go to get, you know, sort of eight more million dollars, or it wasn't even eight. I don't know. It was like three, four, five, something in there. So they let him go, and they, it looks like they're they're probably going to go cheap um, on the in the in their sort of fourth and fifth outfielder types with maybe Parker and Mac Williamson. Um, and I think that they really want to get a second pitcher to put up with against with Bumgarner. And uh, so I think they're really going to go hard on Granky. 
And, um, you know, something silly uh, that might happen is that I think Granky will get like a dollar more than price or something. But um, (laughs) we'll see see what happens there. But, uh, I mean, I I think it's also, you know, just to to circle back around to David Price, because, you know, Granky, at least the two suitors, uh, put him in a really great place. No doubt. Um, You know, in terms of uh, park and league. Uh, Price just basically went from a really great place to uh, not so great place. I mean, he went from the National League to the American League. He went to went from uh, homer suppressing St. Louis to to uh, slightly homer increasing Boston. So I mean, it's it's something to think about. I personally think it's something to think about a little bit more on the back end of the deal. Um, I mean, when, Price when he needs a little bit more of a margin for error, you're saying. Yeah, because uh, there are there were a couple things that stood out for me when I was looking at price. That was a little bit weird, um, you know, because Toronto was one of the uh, main places that he um, the, the first places that he called home that was really um, an issue in terms of homers, and he didn't have an issue. But that doesn't mean that he won't necessarily have an issue in the future because uh, he was pitching a little bit differently than uh, he did before. He had the best strikeout rate. Uh, if you gave it, if you considered his year in Toronto, I mean, 75 innings in Toronto, if you consider them a year, he had the best strikeout rate and the best uh, swing strike rate of his career. And uh, he threw the hardest uh, that he'd thrown um, since 2011. Wow. And uh, so he, he gained almost a full tick uh, going from the Tigers to the Blue Jays. And uh, he doubled his cutter usage and halved his, his curveball usage. So everything was a lot harder. Uh, it was almost the second most usage of his changeup to in Toronto. So basically, he was going for the whiff. And he was uh, throwing harder, and they were in the pennant race. And he was, a, he was a free agent to be. And, you know, all the signs point to me that he was trying pretty hard. And, you know, yes, he's going to try hard with Boston. He's going to try and show them that he was worth the deal and all that. But it's seven years, not, you know, 75 innings. And so he's going to have to you know, be a little bit more responsible about it. And what happens when, you know, what's his velocity reading in spring? What happens when he comes out, you know, at 93-1? And uh, like he did at the beginning of 2014. Everyone flips um, shit because of the money. Bit. No matter yeah. what, like over, the overreacts because because yeah. of the contract. Um, I forgot. Exactly anyway, what I was so I, I'm just saying, yeah. I'm just saying that like you know he the Toronto and also 75 innings of homers in Toronto probably doesn't tell us a lot about how he's going to do in Boston. Um, but you know, here is a guy who has given up some homers in the past, and uh, you know, early on in his career had a little bit more of a homer issue than later, um, but. Um, so I, I do think that you could. Uh, I mean, his projected uh, homer rate is now better than is worse than his career rate. So it's sort of baked in to some of the projections you're seeing. Um, but um, other than that, uh, I don't really ding but, him much for this. And he, and it's probably you know I think Boston's lineup is going to be you know second or third best in the in the big leagues next year. It was quite. I mean, kind of quietly good because they were bad. And, yeah. and nobody was really paying attention. It, that's that's what allowed it to be quiet. Still good. I think fourth in the league last yeah, year. So it was it was it, still good. It was all the pitching that that really sank them. Um, what well, about the standpoint? Lots of wins. Maybe a you know a point you know point oh oh five 
ERA difference or something, or .05 ERA difference maybe from a couple homers. Back off the fantasy piece and back to the quote-unquote real-life piece. What about the playoff thing? Uh, I know people are going to make a huge deal of it. Uh, just just your thoughts on it. I, I doubt you have the, the grave concern that some people share because of his 5-12 ERA in 63 innings, but where do you stand on, on Price as a playoff pitcher? You know, I, I did a little piece for, for 120 Sports on this, and I found that um, he did uh, he did alter his pitching mix a little bit, and uh, it's the kind of stuff that he did um, uh, in the late season in Toronto. Uh, it just had a different outcome, which is that he, he went to the cutter more than the curve. And, um, you know, the cutter is really hard to figure out in terms of platoon splits, but in his career, the cutter has given up more homers than the rest of his pitches. So um, he has a he had a, a random homer issue in his uh, postseason work as a whole. Yes. And, you know, that's probably just random and probably not a big deal. But a he faced better batters and B, uh, he went to the cutter more, which he's given up more homers on. So. You know, I don't think it's a big deal, um, but and I think that is also the kind of thing that you solve by just doing more of. I mean, not only do you solve the sample issue of like evening out the home run rate, but you also solve if there is an issue with David Price of, you know, either the butterflies or the the um, pitch mix, you know, pitch getting, mix, getting the, better the with your choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out throwing more curveballs next year because you know it's a different a different look for people. He hasn't he's been kind of slowly winding down the curveball. Um, if he breaks that out a little bit more, people will be surprised. So that, that's a great point about the cutter giving up the homers because that is that is really the the ailment in the playoffs. He's given up 11 homers in 63 playoff innings for that 5.12 ERA. He has a 117 WHIP. His 4.9 strikeout to walk ratio is actually better than his career 3.7 mark. I mean, he gave up 17 homers all season, 220 innings, and he's given up 11 in 63 playoff innings. You know, the cutter suggests that some of that's on him, but some of it is bad luck, too. I'm not really worried about him, and I certainly wouldn't hinge my decision to sign him on that 512 ERA, which a lot of folks want to seem to do with their snarky tweets about his playoff pitching. I, I, I find that to be kind of ridiculous. But um, do you have any final thoughts here? Uh, I, I want to ask you about Cueto really fast before we go. He's he's probably the second in command uh, behind Granky in terms of the next best pitcher there. Do you think he was wise to turn down the, the $20 million from the Diamondbacks? And if so, do you think that this deal enhances him at all, or does it not change his market really at all for Cueto? Well, I don't think Cueto's in the same in the same stratosphere. Um, and, no, he's got to be down uh, in, in Zimmerman's area, right? And uh, so I, I tried to look at uh, Johnny Cueto's uh, soft uh, soft hit rate uh, uh, today for Fangraphs, and uh, I did find uh, something interesting, which is that uh, he has some of the hallmarks. Uh, the only hallmark, actually, that I could find um, for a, a leader in soft hit rate was. Um, uh, was uh, getting batters to reach, so basically reach rate. Okay. And um, then uh, another thing that I found from a Rob Arthur piece was that uh, pitchers who suppress um, who suppress exit velocity often do so in two strike counts um, because uh, basically you're you're further off the side of the zone, right? Um, you're not you're not throwing down the middle in a two strike count. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, I put all that together and I found that, uh, yeah, 
Johnny Cueto does the things that people who suppress velocity are supposed to do, which is he gets batters to reach. Um, he throws on the edge. So I use edge percentage uh, to show that he's not throwing in the heart of the zone where that's where homers and high velocity is. And um, uh, he gets into two strike counts a lot. So, um, you know, I, he, you can look at his, at his swing strike rate and know that he has good stuff. And I do think that uh, someone said that the, the Reds really sat down with him and said, we don't really need you to have a, a strikeout every time. Uh, you know, the soft contact is good, too. So I, I do believe that this is a guy that has stuff and command um, and is a very good pitcher. Of course, I do also believe that those mechanics are really weird and that they sometimes get out of whack and they make his stuff flat. And, um, and that because there's so many moving parts, he might be a little bit more difficult as he ages. Um, he doesn't have a great body and, uh, and trying to keep that body all in, in you know, doing all that shimmy shaking. <laughs> um, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't give him seven years for sure. No, uh, but, uh, would I give him a higher average annual value than Zimmerman? I think so. Would you, and, would you only do it with the five years or, or would you do it with six? Because, uh, what, what Zimmerman got 22 mil, um, the deal that Cueto turned down was six one twenty reportedly from from the Diamondbacks. The same deal, but but six years. So yeah. So would you do? I think he's a better pitcher. I I just I'd rather go back down to five and give him five one twenty two or something. You know. Yeah. I I, I yeah. Be, between the two options, and with regard to uh, Cueto specifically, I agree with you. Though personally i do prefer zimmerman in it and it's not just because my favorite team signed him i just i think he'll hold up um a little bit better i, I share some of the same concerns that you have on cueto though in fairness he's kind of labeled cueto is as as you know a, a fragile pitcher and, and we're looking at three of his last four seasons have been 212 innings or more now the other one was a total blowout 61 innings in 2013 but you know he he's shown some durability now over these last four years and, uh-huh. at least in three of them and, you know, I also looked at, um, uh, for tomorrow, for ESPN, I looked at uh, two-strike counts um, and, uh, and guys that get more strikeouts um, relative to their two-strike count percentage and guys who get less. And, um, you know, the bottom, the bottom of the line is all command guys because I, I colored the dots by edge percentage. Okay. So you can see that all the guys who get fewer strikeouts than their two-strike percentage suggests are all guys who hit the edge a lot. And it's guys like Phil Hughes and Bruce Chen and, you know, all the guys who you can, they can get you to two strikes and then they're going to just throw pitch after pitch after pitch to try and uh, get, get the strikeout or, or whatever, the soft contact, because they don't really have great stuff. And then above the line were guys that didn't have great natural command, um, you know, uh, didn't hit the edge a lot. And got more strikeouts from their two strike uh, counts. Guys like Sonny Gray um, and uh, and others. Then there's there are the perfect guys on there. And David Price is perfect. I mean, David Price uh, not only hits the edge a ton and gets to two straight counts a ton. Um, I mean, just uh, what I have him as uh, fourth best in baseball among starters. Um, no, actually, uh, it goes Degrom, Scherzer, Hughes. Odorizzi, Waka, PV, Verlander, Price. So uh, top seven or eight um, in in getting to two strike counts, and then you know obviously has a great strikeout rate. So he has stuff, he has command, and I looked at his injury history. Uh, one triceps uh, trip uh, for triceps in um, 2013 mm-hmm. uh, that uh, took him 
uh, a month. That's not bad. I, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, if you want to, Cueto has that whole year he missed, right? Exactly. So and, a month and then, off the DL in the last three years, I think uh, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that totally works out for Price. So, uh, good. So, overall. That's his whole career, actually. Yeah, no, that that is his entire career. 2009, there's nothing after that. <laughs> Unless there was something in the minors that I don't re- recall, that's it for Price. I mean, he's been, he's been, a, I mean. In terms of getting a deal like this, there are fewer, there aren't, there are few guys above him that you'd want to give this kind of deal to, and and one of the guys that you might want to give it above uh, already has one. That's Clayton Kershaw. So you know, I, I think Price deserved a, a deal like this, at least in terms of of the baseball market that we deal with. You know, uh, so. Nice work by by the Red Sox. I'll give hat hat tip to Colette as well. He said that he could only really see Red Sox or Cubs. Uh, so you know he kind of got it right there. Uh, the only piece he didn't have was that was that Cardinals bit. That would have been a pretty big shock to me. I didn't really have them on the radar for Price, and it looks like he almost went there. But in the end, uh, Colette had it right. I'll try to get his thoughts as well and, and and paste them on the back end of this. But either way, you know, got a nice thirty minutes uh, on your thoughts on Price, and we'll look out for those pieces both at uh, FanGraphs and ESPN. That's right. All right, man, we'll be back again sometime soon, maybe right before the winter meetings, maybe during, uh, but it won't be too long uh, before our next episode. So until then, take care. Yep. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody, I'm back. You thought I ended episode 291.5, but that's because I wasn't sure if I could get Jason on the horn, but I did. Jason, what's going on, man? I just talked to Eno about the David Price deal, and I definitely want to get your thoughts on it. Obviously, your Price is near and dear to your heart. He grew up as a Devil Ray, then a Ray. Actually, was he ever a Devil Ray, uh, or was the change? No, he wasn't. Okay, he, so wasn't. he was never a Devil Ray. He only grew up a Ray. I know you followed him, and, and I've always, you know, liked him uh, over his career, even with Detroit and, and Toronto. So let me know how it feels with the player that you've you've come to respect and like going to the enemy territory in Boston. What did you think of the David Price deal right when you saw it? I think Archer summed it up best when he said that, you know, when, you, when, you're, when your idol becomes your rival. That is a uh, Drake quote, by the way. See, I'm too old to know that, but I thought that was really cool. Uh, it, it, it's it, great. It's great. I got the I got the alert from someone on the deal, and I was in the end of a rather long business meeting today. It was a large room, so I looked out at my phone, and I'm in I'm in the Boston area tonight, and I'm sitting around with a bunch of Red Sox fans. But I didn't want to interrupt the meeting. But hey, you all signed you David Price. Uh, but it was yeah, that's when I looked at it, and I'm doing the math in my head. I'm like two seventeen divided by seven. That's thirty one million dollars a year. Um, yeah, so. We knew he was getting paid. I, I said oh. it was going to be the Cubs and the Red Sox last week, or yeah. not last week, two, two nights ago yeah, uh, when we talked. Time. So, yeah, so uh, that happened. And, uh, you know, he's dead to me now. But besides <laughs> that, besides that, couldn't be happier for him. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's absolutely what Boston needed. It's what their fans wanted last year and it didn't happen. But, you know, it happened for him this year and good for him. No doubt, and and I, I agree with you on, on all fronts there with regards to it being the right fit for Boston and definitely overdue by at least a year uh, in terms of what they needed. So uh, I got I got Eno's thoughts on, on the on the opt out and everything like that. How do you feel about these becoming the new trend? They've almost become the new no trade clause. Are you cool with the opt outs? Obviously, they heavily heavily favor the player, but there is a scenario where the team and Eno and I discussed this uh, in in the previous part of the pod. You know, there's that one scenario where the team can benefit. But how do you feel about them just in general, these uh, these opt-out clauses? 
I mean, I, I like it because at least you know, the team isn't hamstrung. It's, it's good for both sides. It's good for the team because they're not hamstrung. So it, if something happens uh, in Boston where, the, where everything changes with their financials and they have to move south, they're not stuck with a no-trade clause. Uh, you know, and then then the player, if things go bad, and he's like, or if things go really well, you know, if the team goes plays poorly for three years, he's like, yeah, this is the one I signed up for. I'm out of here. Or conversely, if he does awesome the next three years, and then he like, can oh, opt out. This yeah. is what Sabathia. This is what Sabathia did, and he ended up. The, the Yankees were like, "Oh God, we have to keep you," and they gave him that money. I mean, they're regretting it now. And but it's what Grinky. It's what it's what Grinky is doing. Current. Yes. It's what. Yeah, it's exactly what he's doing. So it works out well in his favor. But you know, I made this point when I think on Twitter with you earlier today. It's like, if let's say he opts out three years from now, and he's he's walking away from, I believe it's 31, 31, 32, 32 on the back end of this deal. I don't think that's correct. So if he does that, he walked away from four one twenty four. How many teams out there are going to give him thirty one million or a raise from that? So let's say thirty two at a bare minimum, thirty two million dollars a year, thirty three million dollars a year, three now, three years from now. There are there are some teams that are going to come across new TV money sure. uh, in that time. Tampa Bay being one of them, but they're not. They're never signing them. Uh, so you can take that off the plate. So that's really the thing. If he opts out. There's only going to be like one or two teams that are going to be willing to pay him. So I, I don't see him exercising the opt-out unless he wants to force Boston's hand for a raise. And in that case, he'll just renegotiate his current contract. Well, and he could. But if he opts out and they're not interested, then they can let him walk and, and, and say, hey, now you got to take your chance. Obviously, he's only going to opt out if he's pitching well. So Boston will be in a good frame of mind because they will have gotten three years. Because even if he, he pitches, you know – from great to uh, okay, you know, in the three seasons, one great, one one good, and then one okay. Uh, but but they suck. Yeah, I don't think he's going to opt out because he can't get a raise. They'll stick it out, see what's up. I, I think the only real way he opts out is if is if he's dominating. All right, and then the last thing I want to get from you, uh, also something that I talked about, Eno, or talked about with Eno, was how the pitching market looks now to you. Obviously, Grinky's at the top. Cueto's probably next, and then a big handful of, uh, of similar guys in that middle tier. Let's talk about the top two first. Like, where do you see Grinky and Cueto going, and, and how much do you think the uh, uh, price domino affects them, if at all? Uh, I think it affects it a lot because uh, Grinky said he wants more average annual value than price. He said he wants to go to the Dodgers or the Giants, or what, if you believe latest reports. And then Cueto, we know, turned down six one twenty from the uh, from the Arizona Diamondbacks. So I believe I said six one ten for Cueto is what I said two nights ago, and that was obviously going to be low if he's turning down six one twenty. Uh, but the, the price market definitely dr- uh, drives the drives it up, and a couple other things like. You know, wanted to talk about briefly you know the whole people saying this is ridiculous the pitchers making 31 million dollars baseball needs a salary cap so screw that screw that so i mean i don't know if you guys talked about that you and you know but this money this sport despite what you want to hear owners saying it's swimming it's swimming in money plenty of money absolutely david price is getting paid but guess how much money the red sox make a ton of it so no i don't want to say i hate the salary cap in football i don't want salaries controlled because every money being saved from salaries and players is going right into the owner's pocket yeah. and they have got a ton of it and then you look at jerry jones I mean, correct me if i'm wrong is it did he pay for at&t stadium or is a lot of that on the back of the public tax on the taxpayer honestly on that one i don't know um i would give him the, not the benefit of the outside. I just don't. I flat don't know. But I'd actually 
wouldn't be surprised if, if he actually ponied up for it. I know he's a, a, a snake through and through with, with certain things, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jerry World, since it is Jerry World, uh, you know, foot the bill for most of that. But to your yeah, point, I'm to look for it. But I mean, like the Giants ended up paying the, for their own baseball stadium. No, here it is. Um, Arlington voters approved the increase in the city's sales tax by half a cent. Okay. Uh, Jerry Jones covered the cost of overruns. So the city of Arlington provided they paid uh, over for $325 million it. to a billionaire. Jeez. You know, so they, they paid a dime towards this. You know, so, I mean, well, how much money he, you know, how much money that Jerry Jones has and the, and the Dallas taxpayers, uh, Dallas area taxpayers are paying, giving him money to build a stadium. To your point with that, why are so many fans pro-owner or just anti-player? This has been happening forever. I get it. But I just felt like we had a more enlightened fan these days that wouldn't always wonder, oh, why do they get so much money? Honestly, if you really talk about like what they bring in and the actual revenues of the game, you could probably still make a case that they're underpaid with regards to what their labor is generating. There's um, the keyword labor. I mean, honestly, you you look at you look at union membership in this country. It's down to seven percent. We think about when our parents were working, when unions were much higher, and then we busted up all the all the labor and the and the collective bargaining that's gone by the wayside. Baseball is the crown jewel. If you're looking at labor agreements, baseball has an incredible labor agreement. I mean, you look at NBA with its salary cap and NFL with its salary cap, and look what baseball. I mean, if you're on a 40 man roster, you could still smoke a joint and get away with it in baseball. You can't do that in other sports. That's nope. what baseball's collective bargaining power is. And it, that's what's beautiful about it. The players get paid. And that's the way it should be because nobody pays Nobody buys tickets to watch owners run teams. It just doesn't happen. It seems so obvious that you would not be anti-player as a fan. And, you know, again, it's not my money that – oh, the thing of it is they – these fans who agree, you know, oh, kind of, they immediately think it's their their money because the ticket price. Like they think that their ticket 100% pays for the salary. Listen, I get it that tickets are definitely higher than they used to be, and and the cost of going out to a game is expensive. It ain't just because of player salaries. But, who's, but whose fault? I mean, whose fault is that? Who's that? That's the owner's fault because exactly. even though they're making an insane amount of money, they're they like, go. "Well, I don't want that money to come out of my pocket." No, so exactly. I'm just gonna jack up. Like, here's the stupid, the stupid thing the Rays did the other day. Their Cyber Monday sale. They gave they gave people the opportunity to buy tickets before anyone else, and they gave, they put a ten dollar charge on those tickets for the opportunity. It's like really kiss my ass. Why? I mean, just. That was unbelievable. But, I mean, can, let's get uh, – talk about price, though. One of the things, you know, somebody asked me, hey, what do you think about him, uh, you know, over the next few years? Over the next three years, I'm not concerned at all, but this is a guy that lives primarily off his fastball. That we've seen, you know, people, people want to talk about, oh, he sucks in the postseason, you know, whatever, shut up. Uh, but the whole thing about him is he does live off his fastball and cutter. It's like 70% of what he does, and he's going to have to evolve. We talked about it with Verlander uh, a couple of weeks ago, but just making that evolution is a Pitcher, you can't throw 95 plus forever, and you know the cutter is something he's pulled in the last few years. But yeah, and he used more changeups this year than he has. Uh, I just like those pitches need to be better for him. I mean, the changeup with the velocity that he throws, you, know, you would you would like to see that changeup play uh, play up a little more. Uh, and the curveball, I'd like to see him use it more when he's uh, equal in counts, those kind of things. So how those secondary and tertiary pitches work for him is going to drive how well he does um, as he evolves because he just can't wait for that velocity. We've seen it with the other guys. I mean, he's worked. you got to think about it. He's never had an injury. 
of any uh, of one any, uh, one there was a, uh, Eno covered that it was a, 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 a triceps I think a minimum stay triceps. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, the 2013 did yeah. make a minimum stay tricep issue, but I mean no major arm injury. You know he did exactly. no surgeries, no surgeries for him. Not, not in high school, not in college, none of the pros. He's never had that. Uh, but then it, it, that said, he's also pitched a lot of innings. I mean he is. Um, just turned 30 at the end of the season. He's got 1,400 career regular season innings, and of course those uh, postseason innings that no everybody wants to talk about these days. Uh, but for him, even that, you know, the last couple of years, 248 and 220, he's had a lot of the 200s. So uh, you know, again, for the next three years, I don't care. The 390 will pay for itself. But these uh, this other thing where people think, oh, this is a terrible deal because of how much money, um, you know. Free agent deals suck. They always do. That's the thing. Because you're you're signing a guy at 30 years old. You're getting a guy as they're leaving out their prime years. Paying for what he did. Like, (laughs) I mean, the the thing about the thing of it is, I just don't understand how these same people make the same comment with every single one. Every single time. We know. We need to create create some kind of like Mad Lib template. Exactly. Player's name. Team. Insert team name. Fill in injuries. Fill in postseason stats. I mean, we said it a million times on this. You're paying for what they've done, not for what they're going to do. These players are are underpaid as they come up, and then if they get through those seven years, then they get overpaid for how they finish their career. If you want to change the system, pay them more up front. Uh, but that's not that's never going to change. No, I mean, if they like these controllable assets and the way the game. So, you know, yes, over the life of a deal, he's never going to earn this money. But who cares? You pay Honestly. for a need. You pay for a need. And I would be pissed if you look at Boston and how much money this team made. Their fans were rightful, were, you know, very right uh, to be upset last year when they went out and signed Wade Miley. Now, I forgot uh, what else they added. Traded I mean, for they him added, and got Porcello. There you go. I mean, that was what they did. You're like, really seriously, we need pitching, and that's what you give us. That was it. Um, and, and, they, and right, if they would have done that again, you know, not that people were going to ever give up their tickets, but you can't do that in consecutive off seasons. They had to do something here. Yeah. And you know, they, you know, I saw the Nightingale tweet that the Cardinals were were the runner up in this, that's which surprising. really surprises me. Yeah, yeah, really surprises me. Um, considering you know we were talking about them chasing Davis and whatnot, I thought maybe like the Cubs would put in there, but the Cubs didn't want to do the opt out or something like that. Uh, but the fact that um, they were the Cardinals were second, which is really surprising. But I have no you know for fantasy purposes, Price going to Fenway. I, I ignore what his starts were in Fenway because he was facing bad Red Sox facing, teams the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean he's facing Boston. Um, <laughs> I, I would yeah uh, honestly, Eno and I actually didn't say one way or the other on it. I think it's because I think we all probably agree there's no real change. I mean he was in Toronto for crying out loud. Not that we drafted him as as a Toronto asset, but I don't think there's any real change he's still he's still at one of the upper aces in that in that top 10 range kind of wherever you want to fit him each of the past two seasons 278 era each of the past two seasons 0.08 whip that that's uh, that's okay, 2.78 FIP, and then uh, whip uh, whip was 1.08 each yeah. of the past seasons. Nice, fantastic. You're, you're still you're just chalking up. You're just chalking up some uh, you, know, you know round three ERA whip is going to be really low. Strikeouts will be really high, and, and Boston still you know has the talent if it all stays healthy on the field. I mean, you can't just say oh he's going to win 15 plus games again because he's done it one, two, three, four times in an eight year career. Yeah, and I mean, not like he was pitching for bad Tampa Bay teams either. Um, but you know, in 2009, he didn't pitch a full season, but he only had 10 wins. Then in 2011, when they won 96 games, 
and went uh, no 2011 was the other year. I mixed them up. His was his 20 win season when they won nine. Oh, they won 90 games. No, 19. And he went 20. Uh, he went 20 and five that year. Yeah, pr- yeah price. First, 13. So it goes all the way. It doesn't affect. I have no. You know, I don't care where he is, and this doesn't bother me at all. But, yeah, um, there's just no. There's no great change. Um, he's an innings horse. That 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 kind of makes up for the fact that uh, he doesn't necessarily have that 10 plus strikeout rate of the upper upper aces. Uh, he'll he can give you 230 innings. It was only 220 this year, but it was 248 the year before. I guess I should say 220. He's only gone over 220 uh, or well over it once, and that was the 248. But yeah, Price is a total beast. Uh, happy to get your thoughts. I'm not sure. I know we're not potting this Sunday, but probably in two. Sundays, but I gotta go. Dinner is finishing up cooking, and uh, I definitely. Don't burn the chicken. All right, I'll talk. I'll talk to you later. All right, see you.